Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. A lot of fun stuff on this stuff. A lot of fun stuff on, okay. the, sh- on the show today. Show has an H in it. That's the word that has the H in it. Um, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, check out the YouTube page. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Many people are talking about it. Uh, Ralph <laughs> Russo is going to be our guest on the show today. He was down in Destin. This is like our yearly rite of passage. He was down there last year. We covered it. Uh, we told you what was going to happen with the scheduling. Hopefully you listened because that's what happened. And then uh, Ralph's going to cover all the inner workings and then some other thoughts on some other teams uh, throughout the SEC as he was down there from the Associated Press, the AP, of course, National College Football Writer Podcast uh, is the top AP top 25 podcast. Of course, he'll be responsible for putting that together coming up in August. Uh, so we're going to talk with him a little bit later on. The focus of today's show, Aaron, is going to be on week one. And and not like a regular week one preview necessarily, but sort of the implications of the big games in week one. Because as you look at the schedule in week number one for the SEC, there are four or five teams that could have their entire season decided, or at least the trajectory of the season decided in week number one. So that's going to be a vast majority of the show today. We'll talk about tampering and what you can or cannot do about it. I don't understand mm-hmm. why people are upset about this. Coaches clearly upset about tampering. Um, I don't know if fans are though. So we'll ask, well, I'd like to ask you the fan out there, uh, if you're upset about tampering, um, Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, uh, I'd like to start the show with just asking, how do you feel to be an alumni of the second best college baseball program in the state of Tennessee? Um, what I'd like to ask. Well, that was a strong start by you. I believe we had a, we had a conversation last year that was different than this one. Um, I don't recall <laughs> it. You know what? It hurts, but it's fine. <laughs> Vandy eliminated in the regional Tim Corbin, classic Tim Corbin, very pissed off after the uh, loss in the super Corbs regional, is the regional. really isn't a big, like losing guy. He doesn't no, love it. No, he does. not a fan. <laughs> not, not, not a fan. Um, South. So super regional baseball this weekend, South Carolina at Florida, Tennessee advances in like insane fashion with that three run Jack in the last strike in the top of the ninth against Clemson, just extraordinary drama, uh, Tennessee at Southern miss. You got Texas future member at Stanford, Alabama at number one, wake forest. So the Alabama story is fascinating. The the coach getting fired and now they have to play number one, wake forest. If they somehow make it through wake forest to the, to to Omaha, what a story that's going to be. And then Kentucky at LSU, which is just South Carolina, Florida is such a great and underrated baseball rivalry. Uh, they've played mm-hmm. so. If, I feel like they've played so much in in the playoffs and in the tournament and in Omaha. So uh, we should check yep. on that. And then Kentucky LSU, LSU with the best player in, in the world, Dylan Cruz. So just uh, you got some other ones. Oral Lots Roberts, of SEC. Yeah, six six of the uh, sixteen for, from the SEC, but two of them playing against each other. So yep. we shall see. But Tennessee advances. Vanderbilt does not. I just wanted to start the show with that information in case you had forgotten Aaron Dugan about that. <laughs> for those watching on YouTube, you'll see her answer. Uh, <laughs> all right, quick victory lap for us. We told you last week, what we think is going to happen with SEC scheduling eight versus nine is that they are going to punt the ball down the road, use the excuse that the next two years are going to be sort of new, and we're going to learn stuff about the committee and about Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. And sure enough, much to Greg Sankey's chagrin, they decided on a, a one-year eight-game schedule for next season without divisions with Texas and Oklahoma. I think it's a stupid decision, but I understand why it happened. Apparently, um, the voting 
was, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more with Ralph Russo, but uh, Alabama seemed like the the linchpin here that that shook that shifted it all one direction after like ten years of Nick Saban talking about wanting to play nine conference games. <laughs> um, I bet they, Greg was unpleasant in that meeting. <laughs> so Florida, Georgia, Texas A and M, Missouri of all teams. Uh, we're all very much pro nine games. Um, so Missouri and Florida actually doesn't benefit them, but they're very much pro nine games. Um, you had specific teams that were against it. Kentucky, most notably Ole Miss, Mississippi state as well. And then you had this four group of teams that were unsure. South Carolina was like, we'll just vote wherever the majority goes, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Which is Get out of the meeting. <laughs> right. Go to the bar. What's Shane doing? <laughs> Whatever. He's cruton. Um, and so what happened is Tennessee and, and or Alabama and Nick Saban decided, no, no, we now we want eight because we're unhappy with our permanent crossovers, which are LSU, Tennessee and, or, and, and Auburn, which then Auburn gets cover like Alabama offers cover to 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 Auburn to say, no, no, we also want eight because that's what Alabama wants. And then the other it starts to snowball from there. And all of a sudden there's too many votes. And so they're stuck at eight. Uh, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous, but it is what it is. And we told you this was going to happen last week. So. There, yeah, and leave it to Braden that if we are right, we will remind you. <laughs> Victory laps are encouraged on the show. I know, I know. And did you take one in college? I just want to like take a low blow since you started off the show with one. Did I take one in college? You mean like a fifth year? Uh, no, four and a half. Four and a half okay, years. That's fine. which which is five football seasons, but less money than five years. And less time. True. So, so I graduated True. December. I, I graduated. I was a December graduate. Also, your ceremony is way shorter and way more fun. <laughs> than true. If you graduate this is true. Um, so. The I still think scheduling wise that I I think that, you know, Alabama was very blunt about what the problem was with it. And I think but I still think there's an underlying um, like hope that there's potentially more negotiation on the money side um like a year into this but i do think that uh a lot of it wasn't that because sankey wouldn't want it that bad either if there wasn't if it if it was not the best monetary decision but i do think there's right. some underlying potential or people holding out for potentially more money because of that but we we saw alabama loud and clear and the beginning of that snowball effect which started with yeah their their permanent rivals yeah and we've kind of beaten it to death you guys know how we feel about it and ralph russo is going to co cover sort of the inner workings of how it all went down in destin so we'll talk cool. about that a little bit later on we did not discuss however last week we mentioned it on the show and Tampering is is this this thing that every coach in Destin was was really complaining about, and I've just been thinking about tampering a lot. Like the most, like uh, you know, who knows if it, how much, and who, and I don't like that coaches come out and say like one hundred percent. I know that this player was tampered with, and then they don't name names because they're scared that they're probably going to get called on it too. Um, so I don't like that. I, everyone's kind of doing it. My first question is: Do fans care? Like, I'm sure if you are a I'm trying to think here of a, of a really good example, like if you're if you're an Ole Miss fan and your superstar tailback, Quinshot Junkins, gets poached by USC or Ohio State mm -hmm. because they get offered a huge NIL thing, which doesn't really happen to the SEC teams all that much. So this is really a question to SEC fans. Like, yes, Ole Miss fan would be furious about that, would be upset about that. Mm -hmm. But don't tell me that Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin are not constantly in the portal talking to other 
players on other teams all the time. The NCAA says you are not allowed to contact players until they get into Who the portal. Who are not in the portal, yeah. Right. Like, But how do you stop? The, all these players know each other. All these coaches know each other. All the strength and conditioning coaches know each other. All these NFL-style... Uh, it's not realistic. Right. Like Barton Simmons, uh, our friend our, mm -hmm. at, at Vanderbilt, is not technically a member of the coaching staff. But he runs like the personnel department, which is now very much like an NFL style personnel scouting department because you're scouting other teams for players now, too. Like they all know it's, each other. They all know each other, too. I don't I don't know how you stop someone from sending a text message to someone they know. Like that is human relationship that happens in every walk of life, in every business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, well, I don't I don't I, you know. Go, yeah, go ahead. I'm just the <laughs> Yeah, it's this like impermissible contact is what they're like calling it. But the thing is, you already have. People already have numbers in their phones. And even if you don't, here's here's the perspective from the student athlete, or at least it would be if it were me, is you inevitably do cost your relationship with your current coaches, your current coaching staff and your training staff and your AD when you enter the transfer portal because you're telling them, I like I don't really know if this is a good fit for me or I don't really want to be here anymore or I'm really considering other options and honestly if it were me like I'm not saying you should break the rules but I'm also saying some rules are stupid whereas unless you know that there's a place for you somewhere else you're probably not going to want to enter the transfer portal and potentially sacrifice some of the strength of your current relationships at your current school because if you have two people that are otherwise equal and someone thought about leaving who are you going to play the person that really wants to be there and right, I, right. I, from a student athlete's perspective unless sometimes unless you know there's somewhere else to land or somewhere else that really wants you you're not going to sacrifice your relationship with your school to do that. Every single one of you listening has probably a job. God bless you if you don't. But every single one of you listening probably has a job. Are you just going to quit your job? Like, Unless your job is so freaking god awful that you're just like, I've yeah. got to get the fuck out of here. It's just going to your boss and saying, hey, I don't really like it and I might switch jobs. Like you can't, yeah, exactly. Like you can't go to your job. They're gonna be like, current. okay, well, right, right. I'm not you, gonna give you any more responsibilities now. What, do, what is your boss gonna be like? I saw you perusing LinkedIn. Uh, what do you? How are you feeling about your current role here? Like, no, you don't. What happens is, some is you bosses line, do that actually, but maybe yeah. you line up your next stop, your next job. You interview on the DL. You go through the process. You accept the job. You put your two weeks notice in, and then you leave. That is. That is how the entire world works in America. Yeah. So don't don't tell me that a kid enter because the kid enters the portal and then the next day commits to new school. I don't mm -hmm. care that there was a communication before that, and which is technically called tampering and coaches are complaining about it. I don't know. All these players are on these Elite 11 circuits together. They're all in these seven on seven circuits together. They all are in the rankings together. Like they all mm -hmm. grew up. Some of them grew up as friends in the same area. Like. I, I don't know how you stop this stuff from happening, nor do I really. And here's the, I think the more important question, like I want a kid to have a landing spot when he goes into the portal. A lot of kids don't right now. And it hurts them if they right. don't sometimes. Yeah. So that's my answer is I don't care because I don't think, I don't think that not, I don't think banning any and all contact before the portal is necessarily in favor of the student athlete and that's about as far as my level of caring goes yeah i'm with you i'm with you i like don't care it's not good for them because if you're gonna land some people land in the portal and never get out in fact the percentage on that is staggering it's it's like, not it, it's getting it's gonna get better it, it i agree it's gonna it's, get better but it's it too is many. 
it's, it would be alarming if you saw and in different, some sports are different, like numbers in baseball are higher than other sports and all that, but it is, it would be, it's a staggering number when don't, you see kids that enter the transfer portal and never get scooped back out of yeah, it. Don't, don't quote me on this. Cause you go in with a scholarship and you could come out without one is the, is what we're getting to 100%. Here. And I think the number, I want to say it's like a third, like if 2000 players go into the portal, it's like five, 600 players that don't have a landing spot. And that number has come down over the first, that might couple, be in football, but it's higher in football. Yeah. And that, and that, number is coming down i think as we understand the system better and kids make smarter decisions but but again like i now here let's give another example ohio state missing a quarterback mm-hmm. alabama missing a quarterback they lose cj stroud and bryce young if they are if if nick saban's staff or personnel or a player on his team goes to kj jefferson personally like kj jefferson's from mississippi don't tell me he doesn't know someone on alabama's team <laughs> like yeah. He was recruited by Alabama's coaching staff. Don't tell me he doesn't know some of the, the lower level staffers in the Alabama coaching staff or even Ohio State, let's say. And they reach out to him and they say, look, we, we're going to replace Bryce Young. We're going to replace CJ Stroud. Will you come play for us? Are you interested? Yeah, I, could, I, I, might, I would be I'd be interested in transferring. I understand Arkansas fans would be furious about that. Yeah. But how do you stop that from happening? Because coaches are willing to say, again, they will say, Oh, I know for a fact that so-and-so was paid the money to leave my school to go to that school, and then they will not name names. They mm-hmm. are scared to name names because you want to know why? They're all doing it. Yeah, well, and yeah, there's be... But just just like players know each other and know other coaches, all the schools know that the other schools are doing stuff, and they probably know exactly what it is and could name names, but what does that do? Just reflects the attention back on them. So like, oh, you want to play that game? Right. Okay, well, I know... What right. you did with this, this, and this kid. Right. It's they, they very will, incestuous a, in terms of information. It is free-flowing in all directions. Yeah. There is a reason that none of these coaches will ever name names. There's a reason. It's going to start getting, like, people are starting to get, like, anonymous letters in the mailbox. Yeah. So, so again, I think the lesson here is to understand the perspective of how much it's exactly like every one of your lives out there. And for for the athletes and that these coaches are kind of hypocritical and complaining about it because they're all doing it, too. So I I think we I just don't think it's as big of an issue as people need to like coaches are making it this huge thing. I don't think there's no viable solution either. So and we're treating them more like actual like compensated employees, which, by the way, is a lot of what they are in addition to student athletes, because there is one of the largest grossing industries in the yep. world is making a ton of money because of them. So we're going to treat them like that in some ways. You got to treat them like it in others. And it doesn't matter because the best thing for them is not blindly going into the transfer portal a <laughs> right. lot of the time. So that's all, that's all that really matters to it's, us. I think there, there's, tam- it's called silly season in racing, like F1, NASCAR, IndyCar. It's called like the tampering era of the year. It's like on the calendar. It's called silly season. Uh, NFL. Well, co- a- what do coaches do? Yeah, exactly. How do they? How do they? Oh, you're gonna come. You want to come be my uh, assistant head coach? Coaches don't have to enter the transfer portal to have a conversation. There there (laughs) is a period of time on the NFL calendar called the legal tampering period. It's called the legal tampering period, which makes no sense at all. (laughs) Just the yeah, really. It's like an oxymoron itself. Right. So again, I just I think there's some perspective. Anyways, yeah, I just think there's perspective here. It's like look. I understand if your favorite team loses one of your favorite players, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But but your like your coach is doing it too. Their coach is doing it. Everybody's doing it. It's just the way the the world works. No one leaves their job. Very, I should say, no one. 
Very rarely does any one of you leave your job without having another job already lined up. And that is tampering in theory. So yeah. I, I just, it just, it is what it is. Uh, unless your boss your job sucks don't, so bad. Again, don't go to your boss at your job and say, hey, I really hate it here, but I don't have a plan <laughs> of what I'm going to do next. Right, and right. what do you think about that? I don't hey, think it's going to go well. Uh, hey, Mr. Boss, I am unhappy here and am I actively seeking it. employment elsewhere. But I have no real game plan, nor do I know if anybody else is going to hire me. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, so week number one, and we'll talk with Ralph Russo coming up about some more of that stuff as well. Week number one, I, I thought we could do a quick week number one preview, look ahead to the very first week of college football, get some people excited about actual ball. Uh, and I and as as I was looking, of course, there's your 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 host of FCS, you know, cupcake blowouts that's going to happen. Um, but there are a handful of teams where I started looking at this and I'm like, all right, you know, Vanderbilt's over under three and a half. They're going to play Hawaii in week zero on the road. Nice trip for Vanderbilt, by the way. Uh, then they're going to host Alabama A&M at home. They are an 18 and a half point favorite against Hawaii. If they win both games and you've got the over on three and a half wins, they are going to be probably at two coming out of week number one. And you can, you're probably going to hit the over just like we told you to hammer the over last year. So I was looking at this schedule going like, man, there's a lot of things that could be decided. Namely the, the Florida Gators, the South Carolina Gamecocks, the LSU Tigers, the Vanderbilt Commodores. I think we need to alert to people that Virginia is awful and that Tennessee is not not yes. going to be not going to be challenged necessarily in that game. Although Aaron, with all of these games, there is something to be learned in all of these games. So mm -hmm. we can we I don't, I don't know where you want to start here, but we can start with Vanderbilt because at Hawaii may have looked like an interesting game a couple of years ago, but they are almost a three touchdown favorite, and if they start two and zero. Oh, your over bets looking really good. Right. Now, I mean, well, it, it is, but I, this is the skeptic in me because I've, yeah. <laughs> I have a history of loving uh, being a, a fan of teams that struggle consistently throughout my entire life. But what we also probably need to address is even though that sets Vanderbilt up for the best chance of hitting the over, that middle tier of the SEC, and I know we've talked about hammering things home over the course of the last several months, but that middle tier of the SEC is better than it has been. So you can't look at Kentucky and say, oh, probably. You definitely can't be Vanderbilt and say probably against Kentucky. You definitely can't say look at like Missouri and say probably. You like There are a lot of games on here that are still going to be. You can't look at you can look at, you know, South Carolina and say, I hope, or maybe you could look at Auburn and say, if there's, if it's still on fire in a shitstorm like it was maybe, but also difficult. There's really not, there's not two other easy ones on there. Well, you, you, you play at UNLV. UNLV that that's true. So to get, get us a three, so but then you got to one even, more. Okay. Missouri or Kentucky. Those are still hard. No, no, no. They're, they're all hard games, but they won a couple of those games last year. And, I know. I know. It's and doable. Did, did well in the non-conference. I, I just, just, I just mean that if they go two and zero, oh, which they're probably going to do, you're, you're, I think there's a, I, I would take the, I, I, would, I take would take it. the over. I, yeah, I would take I would it because I think they'll pull one off. But it's not, it's not a gimme if you win those two. I, I agree. Um, so here's another interesting one. Florida, so South Dakota at Missouri on Thursday night. Missouri's six and a half. That's an automatic. I mean, that's pretty much a W for Missouri. Uh, so if they win that one, you know, that's that's one they have to have to hit the over on, on six and a half. But Florida at Utah. That that, was that's a, hard, too. No, Florida, Utah. Looking yeah. At, no, looking at Missouri's schedule. Oh, no, I know. Six and a half. I, I like the over. <laughs> you do? Yeah. What would they be? 
Well, we don't I, have to spend too much time on this. But what would yeah, I'm be? focused on week one, Aaron, not the whole schedule. We'll do over I know, but later. I, want, okay, I like the fine. over. I like the over on Missouri. I like the okay. Over. But I but I remember I've been telling you this like last like last year it was LSU. The year before that was Kentucky. I always have a team where I'm like underrated, underrated, underrated. Missouri's okay. underrated. Okay. In Athlon, they're fiftieth and thirteenth in the conference. I guarantee you, they finish better than that. I don't. Yeah, I think they'll finish better than 13th in the conference as well. I'm with you. Florida at Utah on Thursday is fascinating. So mm -hmm. here's the things you need to know about the matchup. Cam Rising is like the seventh year starter quarterback. They're the defending Pac-12 champs. He's really, really good. But he is coming off an ACL tear in the bowl game, which means he is not probably going to be either healthy or ready to play in that game. So you're going to probably go to a new quarterback if you're Utah. It's only a nine and a half point spread for Utah at home in a very difficult place to play. Yes. Florida's, Florida's total is five and a half. This was like the Anthony Richardson coming out party last year in the swamp where they won a great game against that team. Utah's not quite as good, but neither is Florida. Here, here's the thing to me. This is so, sort of like house money for Florida in this situation. You, you're on the road against a preseason top 10 team. You're only a single digit underdog. Your win total is five and a half. If you somehow go out there and pull an upset, you have changed the entire narrative of the Florida Gators football program in one game on Thursday night before week one even really happens. Yeah, because if you if you win that game at Utah, which is that, yeah, that Thursday night game, like you said, then you are likely setting yourself up to go three and one through the first four weeks. Um, if you can do that. Yeah, that five and a half. I think if if Florida wins at Utah, I'd go I'd take the over on them all day. Um, I still think they could. Do you still think they could pull it off? I, I don't know. I think it's. I a guess really... we're not doing the whole season. No, no, no. I think. Well, I think uh, specifically about Utah. I think it's a very, very difficult matchup. Um, Utah is one of the most physical teams in all of college football. Extremely fundamentally sound. I'm, very... I, I don't know. You don't like you don't like Florida in that game at all. I right? don't know if I like Florida in that game. But I don't if, either. If I don't. Florida either. <laughs> pulls it off. Three and one momentum. You're right. Has at, like because then they've got McNeese, Tennessee, and Charlotte. So if you can if you can do they that, could be Tennessee. Tennessee. They could be Tennessee. They could, but I'm not going to give it to them right When's now. When's the last time Tennessee won in Gainesville? <laughs> oh, it is like a hundred like years ago. It's in Gainesville. Well, yeah, yeah, but Tennessee's I, also better than they have been. I, but I mean, well, I, if you do that, you could go five and you could go six and zero oh if you beat Tennessee because you got Kentucky and Vanderbilt after that. Kentucky's it, hard. Kentucky's hard, but like. So is Tennessee. So is Utah. I'm not saying these games aren't hard, and they could lose all three of them and be three and three. Right, but you're right. The Utah mo Utah would be probably change the whole trajectory of the season yes. for Florida. I totally agree with that. Certainly changes the conversation around. Like, oh, Florida might be the only team that we don't have a we're questioning here. Mm. They have they have one of the lowest win loss totals in the league outside of Vanderbilt. It's five and a half. I, I guarantee you, Vegas is counting this as a loss. So if they were to pull off an upset, and all of a sudden Graham Mertz and the offense looks better and more importantly, the defense with with uh, old Spurrier Jr. there, Austin Armstrong, the 28-year-old defensive coordinator. If they uh, if they somehow figure something out against a Utah team that does, again, is not going to have its starting quarterback, that, yeah. that maybe they do something crazy like they did last year, and I guarantee you Vegas is counting that as a loss. So, oh, yeah. That, question marks start to dissipate if they can 
pull that off. But in Utah, yes, the quarterback thing is is going to make it a little bit more difficult. They do have like a lot of good like upperclassmen veteran leadership on yep. that team. Yep. Um, and it's at home on a Thursday night, like one of the first games of the yep. season. So that, God, I'd love to be at that game. But For you SEC fans, one of your bucket list places to go watch a football Utah. game should be Utah. It is a totally agree. unbelievable atmosphere. It's very SEC. Uh, you guys would love it. Ball State at Kentucky is the first game on Saturday. That's a 26 and a half point spread. Got to win that one. Going to be interesting to see Devin Leary and the new offense and everything. Six and a half win total for Kentucky. So if they win, if you lose or somehow lay an egg, they almost lost to Tennessee Chattanooga a little uh, last year, I think. So um, they got to win that one. But if you do, you're you're in good shape. Um, Virginia, Tennessee here in Nashville. I, I think people look at this and they go, oh, power five versus power five. But Virginia is a dumpster fire right now in terms of the, the entire organization, the recruiting, the talent level. Tennessee is a 27 point favorite over a power five team. It is going to be a blowout. And what will be a home game essentially. Yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah. to me, it's, it's mandatory must win. Really. It's more about just how, how good is Joe Milton? Let's see how good he is. And if he torches a bad Virginia defense, then at least we know the thing we know about Tennessee is generally that the, with Heupel's offense is that the floor is pretty high. They're going to beat teams that they are clearly better than, and they are clearly better than Virginia. So any struggle there will end, will show us some. It's almost all negative if anything happens in this game for Tennessee, right? Like it's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you you win by four touchdowns. That's what you're supposed to do. So also like a very backloaded schedule. But I do think there's a lot. I do think that there's a lot of upside for momentum. I mean, there's like there's something about going two, three, four, and zero oh that just gives people this like unwavering confidence that they can just keep going. But um, what is the, what's win totals for Tennessee supposed to be according to Vegas? What's uh, it's not, line? it's nine and a half. And I, I don't oh. gamble. I don't gamble much. I'm going under on that. So I go under on that too. I, I do not think they're 10 win team. You're making uh, a preseason I was gonna do bet. A, I think that's, I was going to do a whole episode on over under win total bets, but I maybe, can't, well, it's hard. I'm staring at the <laughs> I schedule. Know, I, know. I know. Um, Mercer at Ole Miss. Okay. We'll see what, what, who's at quarterback. That'll be interesting. UMass at Auburn, 39 and a half point favorite. Yo. Um, again, what does the offense look like? New quarterback, new, Hugh Freeze's debut. Western Carolina at Arkansas, uh, not a point spread. Southeast Louisiana at Mississippi State, no point spread there. UT Martin, thoughts and prayers. Uh, UT Martin at Georgia, T's and P's there. Uh, no question about that. Alabama A&M at Vanderbilt, we already touched on that one. And then New Mexico at Texas A&M, that's a 37 and a half point game right now. Texas A&M, huge favorite, but like, what does the offense look like with Bobby P and Connor Wigman should be fun to watch there. So there's a lot of new, interesting stuff to watch in week one uh, before we get to the big games. Middle Tennessee at Alabama, 37 point favorite there. We got two big ones here to discuss at the end, but anything you want to add to any of those very, very lopsided matchups? Um, I, I mean, I think it'll favor Texas A&M to be able to start the season with a little bit of a test run. I don't think it's the year that Texas A&M would want to face, you know, any sort of rival or, you know, like big, <laughs> like I, I, if I'm Texas A&M, I don't want to play Utah for the first game of the season. Like Florida is going to be better set up to at least take a stab at that than Texas A&M would. I think they need some time to get their footing. Oh, I so disagree. I, think, but I, dis I disagree about that. I, if I, I don't think Florida's ready. <laughs> I don't think they're, but I, I don't, I think, I, I, honestly, I think A&M's ready. You do. Yeah. I think they're going to be, I, 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 I hope think, you're right because I want a good Texas A&M bet. I'm not saying Texas A&M is better than Florida, but there's something to me about Texas A&M that like just needs like 
I just haven't seen any, I haven't seen it yet. So just to have that slower start to be able to test things out and see how it goes. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to play Utah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to play Utah week number one either. I do think te- my point is, is I think Texas A&M with Bobby Petrino, all those five stars on defense, I think their roster's in far better shape to better equipped to. Yeah. yeah. Like I think, I think A&M Utah, like on a neutral field in Dallas or something would be an awesome, like very even, very interesting, like defensive minded Winningham versus yeah. offensive Petrino. I think it would be a great football game. I do not. I think want Florida a good Texas is, A&M back. Yeah. Good Maybe. A&M, good A&M and good Jimbo makes for, for drama because then they can either. I crash. mean, mad Jim, mad Jimbo makes for yeah. drama too, but like, I, I'd rather have a good Texas A&M than a mad Jimbo. I think, although it's close. Well, that's true. I see your point. But I think when they're good, here's what I want. I want a building of the hype for Texas A&M as the season goes along. Because then no matter what happens, it's fascinating. They either crash and burn and we get Mad Jimbo and crazy fans. Or they do something interesting, which then sets them up for more crash and burn later and or finally breaking through. So like either either way, A&M is fascinating either way. They're like the reality character. They're like like the unpredictable reality character on a show. And, and when I asked Ralph Russo, like, what are his favorite storylines heading into media days? Like, A&M was at the top of his list. So, yeah, I so don't I, blame him. I, I agree. All right. That brings us to the two big ones. And it's not even just win total bets that are on the line here for, for South Carolina against North Carolina in Charlotte, LSU against Florida State in Orlando, neutral site games. Charlotte, of course, North Carolina. We'll start with South Carolina. It's a one and a half point spread. Um, I believe uh, South Carolina is an underdog in this game. Their win total is six and a half. It, it, North Carolina is not good on defense. So South Carolina and Rattler and those boys should be able to, to, to score with the weapons that they have. I don't know if they can stop Drake May and North Carolina's offense, but it does feel like with South Carolina's schedule being as difficult as it is, that a lot of their season hinges on how they play in week one. And if they beat North Carolina... They they can hit the over. They can keep the momentum going, and their season could be pretty darn good. I, if they lose, and then you look at that schedule with Clemson and all those other teams in the SEC, I I just I could see it unraveling quickly. And that is not a that's not a shot at South Carolina. It is a it is purely a comment on how difficult their schedule is. What did you say the win total is supposed to be? Six and a half. Yeah, it'd be tough. I, I would I would argue that in a per game, like if you're looking at South Carolina in one particular game or over the course of the season, I would say based on the last couple of years of Shane, since Shane Beamer's been um been in his position, they are I think they are less weighed down by being behind than most other teams like I think you mean South like, Carolina you mean like, like they, the, their ability the score, to answer, on the scoreboard like their ability to answer both in one single game even when they're behind and also to not be discouraged by like I watch Vanderbilt over the course like it, it depends on that momentum a lot of the time South Carolina no matter what happened the week before I do think their ability to kind of erase it and start over is better than some teams they can shake things off that, that's and a culture yeah that's a culture it's thing. a cultural yeah. thing and like Spencer Rattler and you know everyone yep. behind him can yep. answer in situations even when they're down so I do think that but I in order to hit that the over they need it but I don't necessarily think it's going to determine I don't think they'll just go down the drain if they don't No, but it's almost like 
if they can stop Drake May, and and I don't, and by stop him, it means like sort of contain him to some degree or answer against him. Right. Well, so here, here here's what I'm getting to about the defense. Okay. They're they're not going to play South Carolina they, while their schedule is extremely difficult. They are not going to play too many quarterbacks like Drake May. Like mm-hmm. like that. You know, maybe Joe Milton is good enough to be that. I don't know. I I don't know. Georgia's a totally different team. They're not even. I'm not even counting Georgia. Like as yeah, a, don't count Georgia. But like Clemson's not better on offense than North Carolina. Kentucky's got a pretty good quarterback, but they're not better than Drake May. Like it, nobody in the East, especially the East, is going to be better from a quarterback standpoint. And from a, if you can defend Drake May even just a little bit, mm-hmm. to me that sets so that to me that indicates that South Carolina is going to be far more competitive than if yep. you're if you're if you're taking the under for example, which I'm not. But like if you are, that would you're going to learn a lot about South Carolina in week number one, because if you can stop Drake May even just a little bit. There's not many players on the schedule that are going to be better than him at that position. And the biggest questions to me, the two things about South Carolina, like the defense, Rattler's consistency in the offensive line, but the mm-hmm. defense is huge. Like they, we don't know how good that defense is going to be. So right. they lost, they lost NFL players. They lost their, yeah, their five-star recruits. Like they've lost a lot. Yeah. Right. Yep. So um, that's, that's where I think South Carolina is. That game is one of the most interesting games in all of college football. Yeah, it is like a you kind of get like a compass from that game of of where it's of where it's headed. And I, you know, I don't know. It's it's just hard to doubt what South Carolina could pull off. And there's six games on their schedule that I could be like, oh, I think it could do that. And then just one more crazy one from right. them, it could happen. I think it's the North Carolina South Carolina game that would be the tipping point that indicate like, like either they hit the over because they win or they hit the under because they lose. I think you're right. And it could define their season, even though it happens at the very beginning. When you look back, like, again, extremely difficult schedule. They're going to lose some games. But if they're seven and five and they've beaten a couple of those teams and they beat North Carolina, one of their rivals kind of in the area, I think fans are still okay with that as long as it shows that that looks like there's progress. I I know they want to be a contender in the East, but I don't think they're there yet. Uh, well, but, but again, you beat Drake may in North Carolina week one, pretty easily. You're absolutely, you may change the conversation yeah. then, um, which, bring, which brings us to the best game in all of college football in week. Number one, LSU and Florida state, uh, LSU two and a half point favorite. Remember this was a final play of the game in new Orleans, Florida state victory on a two point conversion last year. This is now in Orlando, LSU, very different situation. Now, a lot of expectations, nine and a half wins. Florida State is really, really, really good. Yep. They are really good. I think in Coming the app- off ten wins, and their it- their roster is like still almost completely intact. Yes, from last and, year, so they just built on that. They got better in the off. There's no question. Uh, what's interesting is I think they are five and six, or no, six and seven in the Athlon Sports preseason magazine. So they are basically thought of evenly in the preseason expectation category. Florida State is the favorite over Clemson to win the ACC. LSU might be the favorite over Alabama to win the West again. I don't know about that. I'd probably still lean Bama. That game's in Tuscaloosa. But this is a playoff game. This game decides the playoff. And and if LSU wins, they are a playoff contender. If Florida State wins, they are a playoff contender. It does not get any better in week one than LSU and Florida State, unless it was on a home freaking campus. It was on a campus, played in a I, college football stadium. It'd be great. I hate, I hate that it's not. Ugh, it's, brutal. that is doing, it's like such, I don't know. It's such a disservice, but. At least whatever. New Orleans with LSU feels 
kind of like a game. You know, does that make sense? There's like a little bit more of a college vibe there as a neutral site, but like not Orlando. No, not at all. You know, it's like a six hour drive from Florida, from Tallahassee. I mean, I'm sure it'd be fun. And if I had the opportunity to go, I would. But if, you know, on Florida State's campus or in Death Valley, I mean, come on. Uh, How freaking wild uh, that would be. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, Um, you can't grill gator in a parking lot in Orlando. It just feels wrong. Although there's plenty. Oh, I don't know. If I'm an LSU fan, I'm grilling this. (laughs) If I'm Florida, if if there's one thing. They probably won't catch it until they get there. If there's one thing that unites Florida State and LSU fans, it is their hatred of the gators. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> There's no question about that. That is true. Uh, I hope game day is down there and they got all kinds of anti-Florida signs. It's gotta be, right? Sides. <laughs> well, there like there's some there's some big games in other conferences. Is that on maybe. Saturday? It is on Sunday evening, standalone game. Gonna what be so much say, fun. What did you say last week about college football never being played on a Sunday? It's because NFL season hadn't started. That's why. Yes, and it's because it's like that every year. It's the first week of the year. It's never ever played on Sunday ever again after that. Okay, we'll see. And it's never gonna happen. Not I would yet. I would love it. I would love it to happen. I would I hope you're right, but you are wrong. No, it's gonna go Thursdays before it goes that way. Maybe Fridays, actually. If you think about yeah, it. Yeah, Fridays but would make more sense. I still don't think the SEC is ever gonna move off off Saturday. I don't want to fight with me. you right now. That's Do we need me. to say anything about I want one match? I got one matchup point about LSU okay. Florida State. Okay. And this is go this ahead. is for those that don't study Florida State, I, I would assume most college football fans know a lot that Florida State's going to be very good. Jordan Travis, very good quarterback, all-American caliber player, great receivers, good offensive line, good defensive line, good pass rush, NFL players all over the place. The system is now installed by Mike Norvell in like year number four. Um, they are a very, very good down-the-field passing football team. Mm-hmm. And the one area of concern for LSU is the secondary. Right. So that would be the matchup that would concern me if I'm an LSU fan. If Perkins and Smith and those guys in the front seven can get after Travis, then they then I think LSU wins the game. If Travis has time, I think Florida State wins the game because I don't think they're going to be able to cover for that three, four seconds that you got to cut. Like Florida State is too good down the field. Too many athletes. Jordan Travis's arm is awesome. I just think it's a good point. I think Florida I, I like Florida State to win the game. Uh, but I think the it's it's mostly about can they get to the quarterback at LSU, and if they can, I think they win. But that game, yeah, that game has so much. There's so it's so much fun. Both yeah, fan it, base, both fan keep, bases are kind of gritty, you know. Like I just love the whole thing. It's great. We could talk about even that game in even more detail next week. I know we're like running long, but I think there there is a lot of like intricate, like kind of like X's and O's details that will make that game really interesting like what you just brought up like florida's concerns um like defensively in that capacity yep yep at nine and a half for lsu i i don't i don't i don't think i would take the over i don't think i would either i'm but if you but if you beat florida state uh that that's where you could get to 10 and 2 pretty easily so we'll see well it's all about that florida i wouldn't take that bet if you're teetering on the line of taking it i i think lsu florida state north carolina south carolina i think those two games the the game could decide the over under for both teams mm-hmm. is is kind of how I feel and again neither point spread is a field goal they're both two points or less basically so uh, <laughs> should be should be I like the the point of this is to like get hyped up for week one and there's just there's a lot of blowouts but there's a lot of intrigue in week number mm-hmm. one and I think it's going to be an awesome awesome football season in the SEC okay uh, all right well uh, Ralph Russo was down in Destin. Check out the YouTube page, of course. Rate, review, subscribe. We do really appreciate all your support. Um, and uh, Ralph Russo was down in Destin. He talked about 
Alabama's dynasty. We talked about his most interesting storylines, Tennessee, Texas A&M, a few others. But mostly we talked about what the hell is going on with scheduling, what's going on with tampering, what's going on with Nick Saban and the SEC lobbying Congress. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that was down there in Destin. So he's going to give us a recap of what he saw uh, down in Destin. Here was my conversation with the AP's Ralph Russo. Ralph, welcome to the show, man. How are you, sir? Doing great. Doing great. Enjoying uh, a little bit of it. There's no off season anymore, right? <laughs> we're, we're go right from we're, we're maybe a little pause in talking season is all we're in right now, but doing great. Yeah, it's a breath between sentences inside of talking season. That's all it is. Uh, Ralph was, of course, down and you were down in Destin. A couple of great pieces by you about the scheduling conflict as well as what's going on with tampering. Um, uh, obviously, you can make sure you check out the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I hear it's a great episode this week, so good, go check that out. Great week, great episode every week. Uh, but make sure you're, you're you're listening to that show. Um, and I'll, I will ask you when that AP poll is coming out. I know we're a long ways off, but I, I'd like to know how how long it takes you to formulate that whole thing. Um, all right, just down in down in Destin. I said last week on the show. My prediction was going to be they were going to settle on eight temporarily because they have this sort of two-year trial period of studying what could be a 12-team playoff and sort of like how it's going to function and what the committee does. And sure enough, that's how they ended up. But outside of that, was what what is the overwhelming thing that these 14 football coaches are concerned about, are scared of, are worried about? What is the thing that is bothering them the most? Because it seems like everything is bothering them, Ralph. Yeah, you know, we're in a period of college football where there's a lot of angst about things that the coaches especially can't really control, which, of course, makes coaches really anxious when they can't control things because <laughs> they are control freaks. You know, I think that things at the top of the list is still NIL and this idea that it is an unlevel playing field. I mean, Nick Saban kind of went on a, a bit of a, a rant Um uh, you know, I hate to even call it a rant because that, that makes it sound like a little unhinged. And he make the fact of the matter is he makes some good points about level playing field. And if we don't have one rule that sort of governs all of college football, as far as NIL is concerned, doesn't it, you know, doesn't it uh, have an effect on competitive equity? I think Saban's overall point over the last couple of years has sort of been the underlying point, I believe, is this. Either we should be pro football or college football. Like we are sort of caught, caught in between right now. And I think that that general theme is echoed by other coaches of like, hey, man, just give me one set of rules just so I know exactly that I'm playing by the same rules that somebody else is playing by. We're cool here. Uh, and it's a fair point to say that that's not the case. But I also think it tends to be a little overwrought some of the yep. uh, some of the angst. Some of the complaining tends to be a little overwrought. And one thing I, you know, I got to mention with Saban here is, you know, when he talks about competitive balance and other schools are spending more on their roster than, you know, maybe it's it's allowable in one place more than another and things along those lines and how that's going to throw off competitive balance in college football. I think it's it's just interesting to hear somebody say that who's always had a lot of the advantages, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who's always had a program that spends big and always had a program that has a great recruiting footprint. And it's almost like he's ignoring the fact that he has benefited from having a lot of the advantages. Uh, I talked to Shannon Terry last week, uh, CEO of, of uh, on three, he did an NIL circuit series event here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. I asked him sort of, how does all of this finish? Cause right now Saban and Greg Sankey and other coaches from the sec and other sports are up in DC lobbying the federal government, which seems like a tremendous use of time. 
Um, and basically he's, I said, where does this level set at the end of the entire conversation with NIL? And he says, it's going to have to end up with a different division of football. Um, so in the, like, maybe that's a long-term view of this, but who is it that actually could put that one uniform rule in place? It's not the States. I, I doubt it's Congress. Would the conferences have to come together, which again is getting us pretty close to a different division of football. Well, it's also getting close to simply shifting the emphasis and the legal pressure and the political pressure from the NCAA to this group of conferences that creates a second NCAA. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer, you know, and I don't play one on TV, but I have to I have to talk to a lot of them these days more than I ever thought when I first started <laughs> this job. And the fact of the matter is, like, you know, you start looking at a lot of the pressure that's been put on the NCAA to conform for, to antitrust laws, if five or six conferences come together, or maybe 60 schools come together under the banner of several conferences and create this new structure, are they not simply um, uh, exposed to the same antitrust uh, violations right. or the same antitrust issues? So. I still think that they're, you know, it, it's weird because I find myself thinking there probably needs to be some kind of federal government intervention, but then go back to it like you and saying, like, when are they going to get around to this? Like, I, I, I do think that's the formula here that the federal government essentially sort of waves the magic wand, which you can do because when you're lawmakers and say this is now legal, all that stuff, a, a right. bunch of the stuff that you were doing before that wasn't legal. Now it's legal. And I do think that's the route to something that creates a little more um, uniformity and and yep. a little less chaos. I almost hate to use that word, but I do think that like I don't know what the solution is beyond creating a, a, a system where some of the stuff that you're doing that is illegal now is no longer is no longer illegal. Maybe I am cynical, Ralph, but we just, uh, you know, we, we can barely avoid worldwide economic collapses yeah, of our yeah. own doing, much yeah. less solving 133 NIL rules all in one fell swoop. Um, so tampering is a part of this. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating because tampering's always kind of happened. It happens in every walk of life. If 440 Sports was trying to hire Ralph Russo and you needed to like put your two weeks notice in to come work at any other job in the world, you would have had a conversation with me prior to putting in your two weeks notice. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how we stop human beings from having human relationships. So there's a lot of talk about tampering, but it's kind of just part of being a human being. Right. And like, like how do we get rid of it? I, I, how do you reg regulate it? Yeah, so I thought Kirby Smart's got, now listen, Kirby Smart comes from a, a a position of privilege when it comes to tampering because he really doesn't have to worry that much about it because he's got such a great roster. Like guys are going to leave his program and most of the guys who leave are guys that he probably doesn't necessarily need anyway and he's going to get to pick and choose. Hey, I need a couple of receivers. Okay, Dominic Levette, you're on. Ra Ra Thomas, you're on. Let's go. Like so but I respect him from that perspective in that, like, when you're not involved in it, it allows you, when you're not as deeply involved in it, it allows you to have a little more clearer thought. And he says sort of exactly what you said, like, how do you stop trainers from talking, high school coaches, the players themselves? And, you know, as he put it, like, yeah, we have connections to all these people, too, in our within our program. So we don't have to talk directly to the kid. Information flows. Information is flowing here. So what is tampering? Yes, I think there are truly 
examples going on out there. I talked to enough coaches to know that there are there are legit examples of a coach DMing a player and saying, hey, man, if you end up in the portal, we we certainly have our eye on you. But I think more of the problem is what you're talking about is just this other lines of communication. I mean, Jordan, you know, listen, the, the most high profile situation last year was Jordan Addison leaving Pitt and going to USC in the spring. Jordan Addison is friends with um, Caleb Williams. Like, I don't know how you stop two ball players from talking <laughs> to each other. So I think there's a lot. I think Kirby made great points. I do think that, again, there's a lot of angst. There's not a lot of solutions. Um, but I, I also think that there's um, there's not a whole right. There's not a whole lot you can do about it, but especially because of this idea that you are in a situation where there's all these lines of communications and how do you shut them down? I, I think we all agree that eventually we're going to get to nine games. Um, in terms of the conference scheduling, they voted on again this temporary thing for yeah, 2024. Yeah. Uh, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Missouri, Texas AM, it seems like are all pretty staunchly on the nine, which give them a lot of credit for that because Florida plays a really, really tough schedule out of conference. Uh, Missouri doesn't benefit them necessarily from getting to bowl eligibility. Um, it seems like Kentucky, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt have long been sort of the head of the eight, eight game cabal, if you want to call it that. Uh, is this all hinge on South Carolina? It's just you know, agnostic, apparently. Um, what I think is interesting is, is Alabama the reason this thing stayed at eight? If Alabama had decided we like our three permanents, Greg Byrne and Nick Saban have decided, you know what, we're going to stick with nine games. Do we have a nine game schedule right now if Alabama had decided to go that direction? So I, I don't necessarily want to give Alabama that much power and Saban that much power. And I do think this, uh, Braden, I think you get different, depending on who, which AD you happen to get off the record or off to the side, you get a little different view of how these schools are aligned in the room as far as eight and nine. I know there's been some reporting out there that, you know, oh, it's a seven, seven split. And there's been some, well, you know, these schools are a little more wishy-washy. And, and, you know, then I talked to some folks and they're like, hey, man, there's a lot more support for nine than you you realize in that room. And I think it sort of comes down to, you know, Greg Sankey likes to tell this story about, you know, back in Mike Slive's day, you know, the old Tennessee uh, athletic director, Doug Dickey, said, told Mike Slive something to the effect of like, when we leave the room, it's 12-0. When we right. leave the room, the right. vote is always 12-0. And I think there's a little of that going on right now where I don't think they feel a great desire to push through a nine-game schedule with holdouts. Right. We want everybody to be unanimous. So there's that. I think there is a built in excuse. You mentioned the college football playoff and also the fact that Texas and Oklahoma are here sooner. We didn't prepare for Texas. We were thinking this was going to be 25. Right. Now, all right. of a sudden, everything got moved up a year. Well, you were talking about it last year. So I don't know if that's necessary. But again, it's a built in excuse of we're getting Texas and Oklahoma sooner than we expected. So now we have I, to, address I, see what you, I see what you did there, by the way. Yes. Yeah. A, a well, pun intended. Well, well done. So now we have to address this sooner than expected. Um, and I also think there is the money element too, which is, you know, again, you talk about ESPN, Hey, like we're going to play more conference games. Doesn't that mean like you should be paying us more because you're getting more valuable uh, of more valuable product. Well, two parts about that. A, 
you know, ESPN is not in great position to be throwing money around right now. They just laid people off. There's an optics part of that, but the Pat, other Pat McAfee disagrees, but but go on. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's a more of an <laughs> optics thing. I right. think more than than reality. I think you pay yep. for what is valuable. Yep. Uh, I think there's also uh, MLB rights, I believe, is coming up in the next year or two. There's NBA rights coming up, and there's a CFP that they're going to have to get involved in. So I think there's this idea that well, maybe we stand a better chance of getting some a little more, a little uh, sweetener from ESPN to to. Uh, to motivate us, to convince us that the nine-game schedule is worth it if we pause this for a year or maybe two. The, the last part of the ESPN thing, though, is, you know, ESPN doesn't have to give them a damn dime. Like, uh, there's nothing in the contract that says, as far no, I should, this is presumptuous of me because we haven't seen the contracts. But as far as we know, ESPN could tell them, you signed it, kick rocks. That's it. You're getting what you're getting. I'm not sure that would end the way they'd want it to. Uh, that I mean, a, the contracts there's... are signed, though. You know, I, I understand. And I think that eventually <laughs> they may get a little more money, but the contracts are signed and, and they're locked in for a while. But yes, I understand like, yep. the long range. Yep. You can't the long range. Like, do you want to be a good partner to to a to a to a, a conference that, you know, is your bell cap? You, you cannot provide a broadcast partner of yours with Florida, Oklahoma and Texas, Texas A&M every single year and not get anything for it. It's just not it's not going to it's not going to happen. So but it also speaks to the idea of Braden of the of what like you the idea of bringing these teams in and not playing them more often is just. Silly. It's just it's just silly. Yeah. I, you know, I understand. OK, well, we're going to bide our time and we have to be motivated by a little more money and things along those lines. But yep. You know, and not to mention, like you have an eight game conference schedule with 16 teams. Like, what does that look like in sort of declaring a champion at the end of the year when, you know, I think the thing I think what will motivate will motivate them to go to nine. And listen, they may have they may be going to nine before we even kick off next season or before, you know, we, we get far down the road. Um, they may be, they may have a long-term plan for nine in place. Greg Sankey said, we're not going to be at in Destin next year debating this issue. <laughs> so they think this thing is going to be wrapped up before they even play the eight game, 16 team, you know, schedule. Right, right. But I keep thinking the idea of like, you know, if you have, if you're only playing eight games, like what does that look like? And do, are are you getting a situation where the schedule happens to lay out in a certain way where, you know, Kentucky ends up going seven and one, Alabama goes six and two against what turns out to be a tougher schedule. And now Kentucky's playing for the uh, SEC champion. There, there, there are no reasons other than coaching coaches, keeping their jobs. There are no, uh, and, and, and maybe getting an extra home game as an athletic department budget. There are, well, there that's are, the reason there why are no Florida, reasons. You, you talk about why Florida is so gung ho on nine games with its uh, Florida state. Well, Florida gives up a home game every year with Georgia. Like that's a big part of why yeah. Florida looks at it and goes, we have an, this, we have this, you know, this, um, this neutral site game every year. Cause Texas talked about that. Texas's AD talked about that up front. Like, Hey, well, of course we want to go to nine. We play a game in Dallas every right. year. Right. So I think Florida is part of Florida's motivation is there too. And, and they will be playing, of course, no complaints here from anybody else, Miami, Florida state and UCF in the non-conference uh, coming up. So like they're still playing brutal games outside yeah. of the conference. Um, all right. Well, let's talk a little football here and let's let you go. But first, 
Uh, first question is when you think when the AP poll comes out and you guys are, are talking about this in a, in a month or two, is Alabama closer to Georgia? Are they closer to Tennessee and AM and Ole Miss and Arkansas and Kentucky on that third tier? Are they right next to LSU? In your mind, A, pr- project where they are in the poll, but also sure. in your mind, are they like closer to just sort of the next tier of good teams in the SEC or are they closer to Georgia? No, I, okay. So me personally, I think they're closer to Georgia. Um, that's a bit of a bold statement for a program that just decided that Notre Dame's backup quarterback might be the answer for them. So I understand like that Tyler Buckner thing set off a big red flag to me. And I think the kids got some talent and could be a good player. Yep. Um, but I still look at, you know, listen, I, I, I am I am stuck with stars matter. My my buddy and nemesis sometimes at the uh, uh, at the Mitch? athletic. You're going to talk about Mitch Light that way. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I like Mitch, too. But Ari, Ari Wasserman, like I, I am somewhat of a of a of a of a of a member of that church. And I look at what yep. Alabama's yep. recruiting rankings look like over the last four or five years. And I find myself thinking, I don't know who the stars are on Alabama. They are not as obvious as they may have been in past years, but at the end of this season, we might end up with six or seven Alabama guys getting drafted in the first round and we'll go, Oh yeah, they were there all the time. So I'm going to assume that Alabama is closer to Georgia than the schools that you just mentioned. You know, listen, I think there's a a whole lot of momentum for LSU being ahead of Alabama. And I worry about that. Like I, like, I don't know if LSU has got that kind of depth in just year two under uh, Brian Kelly, you're really buying into the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Jaden Daniels, um, hype if you think that this is a team that can win a national championship daniel's a good player he made great strides last year but i'm not sure i'm ready to put all my chips on daniel so i think myself i find alabama to be almost is it possible to be underrated going into this season but i i think like you when the poll comes out my suspicion is that you know if alabama is fifth in the in the country yep like they haven't been that low in the preseason poll in about 10 years i know alabama that's a big deal alabama fans are freaking out because they're fifth in the country oh my god um all right so we get to we get to nashville i should say in media day it's coming here to town and outside outside of the championship you know that kind of question right the alabama dynasty and all the off the field garbage and you know, Georgia three-peat, sort of take L- – can LSU get back to Atlanta? Like, take those kind of top-line stories out of it. Uh, this is the healthiest middle class I've ever seen in the SEC. All 14 fan bases are largely happy and excited and have some semblance of optimism going into the year, which is terrifying. Um, I- I'm just curious, what is it – what are the two or three storylines that you are most interesting, most interested in seeing unfold throughout the season that you think yeah. you might be writing about coming out of media days – like these are the stories that I think we need to be paying attention to. Sure, sure. And I just think when I hear a, a lot of optimism in the SEC, I just all of a sudden think that, oh, my God, that means there's a whole bunch of programs yep. set up to be super angry yep. at the end, yep. <laughs> midway through the year when they lose a bunch of games. So the number one one for me is Texas A&M. And it's I believe Texas A&M has a chance to have a big year. Yes, I like literally have like a pretty big a surge forward kind of year. Um 
if you ask me, is Texas A&M more likely to go 10 and two or six and six, I would say far more likely to go 10 and two, how that mix of development of the offense goes with Bobby Petrino. Are they still a team that has chemistry issues underlying? Uh, and of course, what that all means if they do end up having a bit of a of a mediocre year for Jimbo Fisher, who I think is still owed seventy six million something in that ballpark, give or take a million or two. It all it, it's all it's all <laughs> fake money. It's all monopoly. Right, money, right. Really. So there's that. Um, I find the Tennessee situation to be super interesting because. Was that a new level? Was that a new sustainable standard that we saw last year from Tennessee? Or was that a a surge that um that you would you would think would be met then by some regression? Right? I, I think for Tennessee fans, they certainly don't want to hear that. Wait, we're back. This is now what we are. But the I I still wonder if like if you remove Hendon Hooker and put in Joe Milton. Now, are you looking at a school that may, a team that maybe is now nine and three, eight and four again? And that I know is very scary to Tennessee fans. And what, again, what does that mean after you just doubled Josh Heupel's salary? Right. It's already a pretty, yep. I think it's, it's fair to say you live in it already a, a pretty fragile fan base right there. <laughs> That's an interesting. Um, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So, so if they see some regression as opposed to no, this is this is who we are now. We are now a ten and two program again. If they see some regression, what does that mean at Tennessee? Um, it's I guess it's called last... it's called PTSV. Uh, just so you know, uh, being a Tennessee, <laughs> it's PTSV. You can you can have you can have that one. I mean, I could I could rumble through a whole bunch like the, the Auburn situation, I think, needs some patience. Uh, Lane Kiffin and how that ended last year at Ole Miss makes that somewhat of a tenuous situation. But I'm going to go Arkansas only because Sam Pittman kind of came in and really won the hearts and minds of a lot of folks. Um But the fact of the matter is, if you look at over three years, you know, the record is not so great that like, again, if Arkansas has a little bit of has another six and six season or which is certainly possible, you know, a seven and five season. What does that mean for Sam going forward? I love KJ Jefferson. We love Raheem Sanders, but you know, again, you play in a tough division. You're probably going to have a hard time getting to even five and three in that division. So I just wonder if the coach that comes out of 2023 on the hot seat, not that I think, any, you know, listen, it's the SEC. Anyone can be fired at any time other than Nick Saban. But I think the coach that comes out, that could come out of the 2023 season on the hot seat could be Sam Pittman. And again, Sam has been sort of this lovable hero, uh, like every man kind right. of coach. But I just wonder if he's like if at the end of last season, when things went a little sour, if the honeymoon ended. Uh, it is utterly fascinating this season, like South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri is going to be sneaky good. Like Mississippi State has a new coach in, in very extraordinary circumstances. Like the whole yeah. league is just absolutely fascinating this year. Um, tell explain to everybody again. Check out the podcast. Uh, you know, it's the the uh, top 25 AP top 25 college football podcast with you. Um, you're going to be putting the poll together here, I assume, in the next eight weeks, two months, give or take. Can it you tell everybody up in late July? Yeah, yeah. Tell everybody that, quickly. Just give everybody sort of like a rundown of how that process works, so that when they see the list, and then they all take to Twitter to say a bunch of terrible things like about lists because that's what we do. 
um, that they actually have some understanding of what that process looks like for, for you guys. Yeah, the best way to say it, we administer the poll. We don't vote. I don't vote. AP employees don't vote. We pick 60, about 64 voters, I think it is, from around the country. Try to be geographically balanced. It is not a formula. It is not a scientific poll. Um, but nonetheless, we try to be geographically balanced. We count them up. We just count up the votes. Uh, it is no longer by pen and paper. It used to be, but now it's all automated. People vote online. Uh, we count it up. We, you know, make sure there are no mistakes, hopefully, from week to week, and then we put it out. It's as simple as that. I mean, again, you try to find a bunch of people from around the country who uh, have some have some uh, AP membership, which I won't bore you, but you have to be an AP member news organization. And, and then we just tell them, listen, you know, kind of like the college football playoff, just give us your top 25. Just give us your best 25 teams. I know people sometimes get a little rankled because we don't provide like really strict guidelines, but I don't think we want guidelines. We want people to do a little bit of I'm projecting ahead. I'm doing what's bet, you know, what I see on the rosters right now, because the fact of the matter is there's no, this is not scientific. There's no perfect way to do this. And then in the middle of August, we'll un unveil the poll. We're usually the last ones out. That's the best way I can describe it. Like, you know, your great magazine will put out a poll, Athlon, and and other organizations put out polls and and rankings throughout the season. Usually, ours comes two weeks before the start of uh, the start of the regular season, and it's sort of the last word that we like to think sets the agenda for the regular season. It, it, who leaves SEC Media Days as the West winner, Alabama or LSU? I still think Alabama. I I think okay. I think the um, sports writers tend to stick i think having done the poll for a long period of time for the same reasons i think you tend to stick with what you know i am going to and i'm 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 guilty of this too right i'd rather be wrong picking alabama right 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 yep i, I know, think I, that there, i think I there's less chance that i will be wrong because very rarely does alabama make me wrong and and uh, the, the I, I use the word maturity of LSU is maybe not quite to like chant national championship level and oh by the way the game's in Tuscaloosa this year so uh, I'm 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 with you Ralph thank you, you so much man we appreciate it thank you for much, so much for giving us so much of your time thank you great man and hey talk to you soon. That was Ralph Russo of the AP and uh, yep. Breaking down all the scheduling stuff. Just a bummer. We don't have nine conference games. That's all. I, that's all I really need to add to this. We've talked about this Dad, for so many times. So. It's coming. It's coming. Just not this year. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, hopefully they they get it correct. And as he said, we were talking about this at this time last year. We were talking about it this year. Hopefully we're not talking about it at this time next year when they go to Destin for the 2024. I don't think we will year. be. Uh, Tennessee. You don't Southern. seem as hopeful, but it's okay. no, no, I. I I'm, I'm skeptical, cynical, but 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 I can I can be convinced that it's going to happen. But money will take it to nine games at some point. It will. Uh, there's no question about that. What about uh, Tennessee? I was going to say at Southern Miss. Make sure you check out Super Regional Action this weekend, Darren. Mm. The best team, the best college baseball team in the state. At Southern Miss. It's just I, I don't have to respond to that. I just don't. <laughs> when you're better and historically, and you know it, I mean, I can sit silent on this one. I can. Uh, okay. How about this? Okay. Oklahoma softball team. Holy shit. No, coming, yeah. to, coming to the SEC. Those girls oh my are insane. God. They're insanely athletic. So, so my six-year-old daughter has been playing softball. She's in her second year. She's actually not bad. And uh, I'll, 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 say, I'll, say the, I'll say the coach has done a good job. Moi. 
on on the on the coach. Oh, okay. No, it's all her. She's actually she's her brain takes takes to softball very well. She did not take to soccer at all, but loves softball. So we've been watching a lot of softball. Yeah. And she's been watching a lot of lady balls, you know, and just because the lady balls Mm -hmm. are really, really good. Kiki, shout out to to Kiki there with like 25 bombs and 40 stolen bases. One of like two players in history to ever do it. She's a stud. Ridiculous. My daughter loves watching her. Um, but like the game moves so fast, the ratings for the college world series for women are better than the ratings for the TV, TV ratings nationally for the college world series for men. Um, but like they got, they're one of the best teams in America, the Tennessee Vols, Lady Vols. And my daughter's watching and they got run ruled by Oklahoma. <laughs> that is so, what is the, what's the run rule in softball? I, I don't, I, I know what it is for six-year-olds in Nashville. I don't know what it is, but I think uh, six-year-olds in Nashville, they have a run I, rule. Yeah, well, we're trying to keep the, you know, we, we don't want there to be like a 15 to no, 15 run inning and then like no one ever gets to play. You only play like three innings in six-year-old softball. Um, Baseball, I don't remember. It's like ten, over 10 and eight innings or something. Yeah, it was five. Uh, it's it's five in, in six-year-old baseball in Nashville. Got but, it. Or softball. But the point is, matters. is, the point is, is that Tennessee was one of the best teams in the country, number four in America, and they are one not ruled. even competitive against Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Oklahoma has the longest winning streak in history. Uh, like it's just what they're doing is extraordinary. Oh, by the way, welcome to the SEC next year. <laughs> yeah, that is that is one. The sport and conference is you. The level of talent that it takes to play softball in the SEC is insane. It's it same is, with ba- same with baseball. I mean, they're it was. I I don't remember what year this was. I think it was maybe my last year at Vandy, so a couple of years ago. But um, it was like. Of the top 25, 13 of the 14 SEC schools were in in softball. And that's because Vanderbilt doesn't have softball. <laughs> what? They need some softball, dude. They got like the best, ba- they got like the best program in ba- one of the best programs in baseball. And I uh, know it's all joking it's aside. This, they are honestly, the best it's program. the space. It's probably the space on campus because it's right in the middle of Nashville. That's why they're adding volleyball instead, because they could put it in the gym. Ah, uh, okay. All right. But that, that, isn't that crazy? It was 13 of the 14 SEC schools, and that's because the 14 SEC school doesn't have softball. Does, doesn't have one, yeah. Um, yeah. We are recording this on Wednesday morning, which means you're going to get game one of the championship series, Oklahoma-Florida State, on Wednesday. And then, of course, if Florida State survives on Thursday, there'll be another one. But uh, I, my money's on OU, baby. It's boomer, boomer Sooner in the Softball World Series. Uh, oh, by the way, in Oklahoma City. <laughs> so, so yeah so good, good luck florida state good luck uh other um, than that have a great weekend you got anything else for the good people no we could talk about i mean I, the only other thing i had written down was all this field storming stuff i don't really think it matters just more expensive oh no. yeah we could talk we could talk about that next week because we'll do that I, next week what well, alabama and looting. about uh, and about ir alabama okay i like that alabama so sensitive so sensitive to people <laughs> that beat you like you're the you're alabama get over it you got a tough, you got a tough permanent crossover schedule because you're Alabama, and people like to storm the field on you because you're Alabama. You don't get that way unless you win all the championships. So you have all the championships. Shut up. Did we just do the whole segment? May, well, except for if you do that, <laughs> now the visiting school gets the gets the money instead of the SEC. So I would just be like, hey, if you're going to beat us and storm the, if you're going to beat ah, us, storm gonna... the field at least, so we get a half million dollars out of it. Okay, all right, there you go. It makes it more interesting, I, but yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. All right. Well, everybody out there, have a great weekend. Uh, where can the people follow you and, and, and on all the platforms? Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. The Aaron Dugan on Twitter that I don't really use. Yeah, no, you don't even retweet the show. You don't even share Sorry. the show. I'll I'm do asking it now. Our, I'm asking our audience to share the show, and she doesn't even share her own show. 
you can follow me. You can get to me. Interact with Thanks me at, at Braden Gall. <laughs> uh, at 440 Sports as well. Check out the YouTube page. We do appreciate you guys. Thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you next week. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. I'll go retro tweet everything now. Too late? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs>